0: I see teachers struggling. I see them. I I just, I see it in their eyes. I see how tired they are. I see how hard they're working. And um, I just want to ease some of that burden. I know that um, this is a skill set that I have, that I'm currently exploring and um, improving. And so it's a way for me to support my colleagues. Support music teachers so that they can focus on creating relationships with their singers and making beautiful music. And so, if there's anything that I can take off their plates, that's what's driving me right now.
1: Welcome to Sing Coach Conduct, the podcast for singers and singing teachers. Hello, everyone. My name is Megan Farrison, and I'd like to welcome you to Sing Coach Conduct, the podcast for singers, music teachers, and performing artists of all kinds. In this podcast, we share stories and explore ways to grow and thrive in both our professional and personal lives. My next guest is an incredible teacher and leader in the Michigan School of Vocal Music Association. It's been quite the journey for Sarah these past few years. She had recently celebrated over 15 years of teaching in the classroom. She was voted MSVMA's President-Elect, and she received the award for MSVMA's Teacher of the Year. Then, her career took a different turn. I'll let her tell you about it. I really want to thank you uh, for taking the time. I know I'd asked you a while back to do this and I've been waiting for you to be ready. So I'm just like (laughs) so excited that you're doing this. And so I would really love to um, just get to know you better and know what your story is. I started
0: music lessons in elementary school with piano lessons like like many kids do. I was seven, and truthfully, I hated it, and my mom made me finish out the year. You know, I committed, and so I finished out the year, and um, then I took some time off, but believe it or not, at about 10 or 11, I knew that I wanted to be a music teacher. Um, I started violin in school with the school orchestra program, and at the time, it started in fifth grade. And by sixth grade, I just knew I was hooked and I knew that I wanted to teach music. And so looking back, it sounds crazy to say, but I knew that I needed to know how to play the piano. And so I started taking <laughs> piano lessons again. And I, of course, I look at my son now who's nine and I'm like, there's no way he could make that determination <laughs> in a year or two from now. Um <laughs> But that's how memory serves, anyways. Mm-hmm. I knew that I needed to know how to play piano, so I continued lessons and um, really delved into orchestra and violin. I was um, all in with the school orchestra and did youth symphony and all of those kinds of things. Now, I did sing, I was in like middle school choir, but it wasn't my first priority or my first passion. Orchestra, really, violin was. Was where it was at. Um, I still didn't like taking piano lessons, but I did it um, all the way through high school because I knew that someday I would I would need these skills. Mm-hmm. And um, in high school, and of course, I did all of the. Um, music camps, Blue Lake and some local camps. And in high school, I went on Blue Lake International's tour with the orchestra. And after I came back from that, I had a lot of trouble with Carpal Tunnel and Ulnar Tunnel. And it, it limited the amount of time that I could play. Hmm. Um, basically, when you deal with that, you have to peel um, And so I was limited to five minutes a day and then 10 minutes a day, which was really frustrating. And because of the time off, um, you know, I was I was a pretty decent violinist. I was used to being concert mistress and uh, just could not play the way that I knew I used to or wanted to. And I was having trouble communicating myself through music at the same level that I was accustomed to. And so um, throughout this whole time, I sang and I took voice lessons and I was in choir. But my priorities slowly started to shift because that was where I could express myself uh, more completely than with the violin.
1: I do want to know a little bit more about what was that like? Uh, I mean, I don't think that's very common in in a young person, Mm -hmm. is it? Can you tell me, like, how did you know something was wrong? And what was that journey like for you?
0: Yeah, I had a lot of um, physical pain um, in my wrists uh, when I played. And I have, I have no idea if it's genetic, but my sister had some trouble later on with um, her cello playing as well. So it's from overuse. Anytime you have carpal tunnel, whether it's from an instrument or from typing too much on your computer, it's that repetitive overuse. And um, I think I also had some personal habits that made it worse. Um, Some ways that I slept, I would tuck my hands into my body. So I wore like braces on my hands to try to not do weird things. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah. And and so I, it was frustrating and it was emotionally challenging because music was, I I was never the sports kid. I I did music. Music was my identity, um, still is my identity. And so I had to, I had to be a little creative on how I could um, express myself and I wasn't in the high school choir because I went to private school and they uh, they gave me a scholarship to be in the school orchestra and um, so I did youth choirs um, outside of school I was in the uh, the U of M youth choirs. so technically my high school directors were Sandra Snow and Jerry Blackstone um Pretty, pretty darn good yeah. oh, <laughs> high <yeah>. school directors. <laughs> wow. But every Sunday I would would drive to Ann Arbor and have um, my youth choir rehearsals. But so throughout high school, it just became um, more important to me and the way that I could ex- express myself uh, more accurately. And then I applied um, for college on voice only. I did not audition for um, violin and I kind of never looked back. Um, I play every once in a while. I did take like the strings technique class um, when I was in undergrad, but I'll bring it out every, every once in a while. And I certainly, certainly don't play like I used to since it's been, you know, 20 years since I was playing regularly, but it is fun um, to bring it out and have those, those memories too. Hmm. But, um, so yeah. So that was kind of my switch to voice. And then, um, I did get my undergrad at CMU. You and I were there, um, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was, I was in a hurry. I did the the five-year degree as fast as I could in hindsight. I wish I would taken my time and enjoyed it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You are never in that undergrad music environment ever again. Even if you go back to school, it's just not the same.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, I was lucky lucky enough to be hired uh, right away in a very strong district um, for a choir position, and I was there for twelve years before switching districts and was able to move back home, so to speak. Um, I'm about five miles from my parents now, which was one of the um, reasons for for moving back.
1: Nice, because you you have a son.
0: Yep. Yep, I have a son. He's he'll be ten this summer, and um, my in-laws and my parents are all within I don't know five or seven miles, so they can come to his soccer and recitals, and it's just been really wonderful.
1: That's awesome. So, mm-hmm. h- what was your experience like in your first school as a you know as a new teacher going in? What what was that like for you? Terrifying. <laughs> i I thought they had made a mistake. I could
0: not figure out why they had hired me. Um, I replaced a longtime director and and she had had a student teacher um, at the end of her tenure there who was being who was being prepped to take her position. And so it was a little bit of an upset and surprise I think when I was hired and I was straight out of college hadn't worked anywhere. and um, the funny thing is I almost didn't even, Apply. I got halfway through the application and realized I wasn't qualified. They wanted somebody to teach choir and English, and oh, I don't wow. have an English degree. I have K twelve music, uh-huh. and um, my mom was like, "Well, you're almost done with it. Just submit it. What's the worst thing that could happen?" And so I submitted it and went through, you know, all of the rounds of of teaching. We actually had a family vacation that summer. We were in Hawaii, and I was fully prepared to to book a different flight home if I had to interview again and like race home mm-hmm, <laughs> to get the job. Um, and when I started, you know i I look back, and it, it was a hard year. I think first year teaching is super difficult, and when you take over for someone who has been there for a long time and is a beloved uh, community figure, it's especially difficult. And it's hard to duplicate what you've never seen or experienced. So even when I tried to keep things, quote unquote, the same mm-hmm. as as the director, when you don't live it and you didn't see it personally and everything is passed down um, by stories and, and that kind of thing, it's hard to, hard to duplicate. But really, it went as well as it could have. And um, I loved I loved my time um, in the district. The first three years I was part-time. I was a 0.8 position at the high school only. And then um, my last nine years there, I traveled between one of the middle schools and the high school. So I know the the traveling teacher gig, um,
1: no prep hour, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, my gosh. Did you try to keep everything the same? Or were there things you, you tried to slowly change? Because this is something all teachers deal with that are taking over a program, right? Is how much do I keep? Uh, What traditions are going to keep going?
0: Well, I've done that twice now. I have taken over after a long time, very successful directors twice. Um, So I do think I have some insight into how to smooth that over as as best as you can. Um, The first time, I don't know that there was a lot of um, intentional choice. I was, I was surviving, I was a first year teacher. I was doing whatever I could do just to stay afloat. So, I do think I tried to keep things the same, um, but I don't know it was as intentional as the second time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the second time I switched districts, um, I had been teaching for 12 years. I had a different perspective. Um, I knew a little bit more about the program and the students coming in. And um, there, so I, I did make a very intentional effort on keeping things the same, unless it didn't work for me. And I found, um, you know, if you have a, a really good reason as to why something needs to change, students are very receptive to that. Um, and so there were things that I absolutely kept the same because it was important to them. It was meaningful. It was tradition. And then there were other things that just either weren't my style of teaching or didn't work for me personally. And so, yeah, I did change those things. Um, and for the most part, that went very smoothly because I would just explain to the students why it needed or what we were going to do. And they're like, oh, OK, yeah, that makes sense.
1: So you're that kind of teacher that was very open because I know sometimes teachers are reticent about being so open with students or explaining everything because then it almost invites in their their feedback and their opinion what is your view on on that? Are you did you ever feel any fear about opening up about it, or are, were you very open with your students about just inviting them into those conversations? Honestly,
0: I am both. Um, I one hundred percent only ask students when I'm okay with either outcome. If there is a specific outcome that I need, I don't ask for um, input because, like you said, it does invite. Um, opinions. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes I find that it, um, I don't know how to phrase it, but they, if you just present it how it's going to be, they're fine with that. If you offer options, and then the option that they didn't want ends up happening, then they're unhappy. And they didn't need to be unhappy, because you could, you could just present it. So I think it depends on the circumstance, the situation Mm -hmm. also depends on the students. Um, I think when I was younger, I did far less of that because I felt like I needed, I started teaching at 22. I felt like I needed as much authority as I could muster. And that meant not being my student's friend um, and trying to set myself apart age-wise. I looked young. um, I sounded young. And so I needed to draw that boundary pretty clearly as I've gotten older and I feel more confident in my ability to to have that authority and to distinguish the difference, I think I've actually been able to be um, more open to that than I was earlier on um, because I know how to handle <laughs> the repercussions one way or the other uh-huh. of, of allowing students choice. But there, there are absolutely things that I have um, just needed to say, look, this is this is how it's going to be. And then others where I can invite student input a little bit more.
1: Hmm. So how was your second job different from your first? So um, partly um, COVID.
0: (laughs) I I had been there about a year and a half before COVID hit. So I survived the first year in a new district, just learning the ropes, learning. It's all the things that you don't see, learning how to pay bills and who to contact for maintenance. And it's all those other things that really are the underside of the iceberg, all the other things. Mm -hmm. So I spent that first year just trying to figure all that out. And then halfway through my second year, COVID, which of course, threw everybody for a loop and that changed things pretty drastically. Um, I think another big difference in the second uh, district was just um, the size. So in my first district, there was one high school. I was the high school choir director and middle school. Mm -hmm. And while it was a big school, there was just one. And in my second district, there were three high schools, uh, four middle schools. So I had colleagues and a team. And um, that was really exciting to me to have so many colleagues to bounce ideas off of and work together. Um, And that was truly a saving grace when we were teaching online. We shared the workload. We split the ideas, and then we all were able to implement them, even in our own buildings. But um, to have those, those teammates was invaluable.
1: At some point, you started feeling like maybe you weren't going to stay in the public school system. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, so last, I
0: guess at this point... It was last January, so a year and a half ago. Um, I just started realizing that I wasn't, I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And um, when I got there, it was, I was where I was supposed to be, and I did what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to be with those kids um, at that moment in, in time. There were multiple reasons why I felt like I needed to leave the classroom, and each one of them was was as small as a grain of sand nothing was a big reason, but finally they all kind of piled up and into a reason where I needed to leave. Um, and so I just was feeling more and more pull to see what else was out there for me. And a big part of it was, um, my, my son and my family life and wanting to be more available. Um, I, I am a all in kind of person and, um, I was giving everything I had to my students in my classroom. And sometimes there wasn't a whole lot left at the end of the day. And I know that so many teachers, so many music teachers um, can relate to that so, so deeply. And so that was one of the reasons just feeling like I needed to re-examine what I wanted my life to look like and what my priorities were. And I didn't feel like I could do that examination and reflection from within the classroom. Um, I didn't have the time and the space and the energy and the wherewithal to do that. And one summer wasn't going to be enough for me to figure that out. Mm-hmm. So last January, I just started doing some research, looking around what what's something that I can do. I Everything I've done since age 10 was geared towards becoming a music teacher. Mm-hmm. I'd never considered anything else. Um, And so that was kind of scary, Uh, not kind of really scary. Um, It was a shift in identity, a shift in um, how I see myself, how others see myself. And I was worried. I was worried what other people would think or would say Um, shouldn't have been a worry, but it was. Um, So I took several months to research and learn um, about some different fields I also needed. Once I determined um, the field, I I started looking into instructional design, which is not the same as teaching, but it is, um, I would say, an adjacent field or or you know methodology. And then I needed to start learning as much as I could, as fast as I could.
1: <laughs> well, what is what is that for people that don't know what you just what you just mentioned? Yeah.
0: So instructional design actually encompasses uh, quite a bit, and it's used either in corporate settings or higher education settings. And it's using um, learning theories, specifically adult learning theories, in those particular circumstances on how people learn. Um, And it can range anywhere from creating videos to um, handouts PowerPoints. Um, Now in my current position, I'm also a facilitator. So I do some instruction and teaching online um, in a corporate setting, not for music, um, which is kind of (laughs) weird, but um, it's working. It's working well Uh so far. And so um, I spend my time um, creating PowerPoints and handouts, editing work from my colleagues and my teammates. And then I do teach. um, I rotate between about 12 different courses that I teach online.
1: Wow. So what do you teach online?
0: I am actually um, mostly teaching automotive management and customer service.
1: Wow. So you've learned a lot to get to this point. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Did you just research online? Did you read books? What did you do to prepare for this?
0: Um, I did a lot of research online. Um, I joined Couple different Facebook pages and forums, watched a lot of YouTube videos. There are master's programs and certifications that you can receive. Um, and I was considering those routes if I didn't secure um, a position, but I did. I think it took me about a month, a month and a half of applying before um, I was hired. So I didn't get you know, long enough time where I really needed to delve into that. I may still do that in the future, but the the company just happened to be automotive. And that's the thing with instructional design. You don't need to be the subject matter expert Um, you work with. um, I work with a subject matter expert who supplies the knowledge, and then it's my job to package it and make it um, appealing so that learners can learn, basically.
1: That's awesome. I didn't even know this was yeah. a job. Of course it makes sense that it would be a job you know but uh, yeah but I've never met anyone who who does that sort of thing. And so in researching well first I, I want to back up a second after you did leave teaching um, maybe we'll call it a, like an identity a cho- or a choice hangover let's call it that right is that that feeling of after you've done it what was it like? Um. yeah, what was that? What was the first month like? What was it like knowing the first week of school was happening and you weren't there? Just tell me what your feelings were and your thoughts were.
0: Well, so the end of last school year, I was interviewing and I was hired. Shoot. When I was, when was I hired? End of May. And so that was something I was keeping private at that time. I didn't tell my students, um, I did tell my principal, um, before I officially resigned, I wanted him to, to know it was coming and that, um, I I wanted a personal conversation versus an email or something Mm -hmm. that cold and, um, school got out. And then one week later I started my, my position. So my first thoughts were, I just gave away summer breaks forever. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I started, you know, one week and I'm thinking I'm so fried and burnt out from this year and I'm starting a new position a week later. What have I done? But I felt relief in knowing that I was giving myself um, some space and just something different. And I really, really enjoy learning I like learning something new. It does give me um, energy. And I, like I said, I dive full in. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, I just jumped in with, with two feet and ran from there. And when school started, it was bittersweet. But there was enough sweet that it felt okay. I was I was home. And got to see my son off to school for the first time in his life. Um, and so things like that were what really affirmed the choices that I'm making um, on a daily basis. I'm, I'm home when he goes off to school and I'm home when he gets home from school. And that's that has not been my experience in his life. Um, I was not maybe the default parent or taking him to events because I was at I was at school. Um, I left when it was dark and I got home when it was dark and I don't begrudge any of that. It's just a a big difference right now Mm -hmm. to be more present for those, for those moments.
1: Hmm. Did you miss, um, I know both of us just in conversation with you, our students would call us mom. Mm -hmm. Was it hard for you to know that that wasn't going to happen anymore?
0: The students are what
1: I miss the most without, well, that and the music. Um, I
0: miss being able to shape and mold what it sounds like, what the music sounds like, because I can, I can sing on my own and I sang in a community choir this year. And those were all wonderful, wonderful outlets for me, but none of that was me holding the music in my hands as a conductor and shaping that with my students. Um, and then the relationship that is forged through that experience with my students. So absolutely. I do miss that. Um, And I still keep in contact with um, some of my students. I have tried to be um, available from a distance, I think would be the way I would put that. I didn't, I was very intentional that I didn't want to get in the way of the new director. Um, I wanted him to be able to form those bonds with the students without me around every turn. And I do think that is um, essential to that transition um, when a new director comes in. He's also a first-year teacher, so I wanted to support him um, with whatever information or however I could support him best. But ultimately, I wanted to stay out of his way. So we've had a great relationship this year. He um, has texted me questions. The students will send me messages every once in a while. We met for brunch over Christmas, which was super sweet. They contacted me and wanted to get together and um, one of the girls, she said, um, "You're you may not be our choir teacher anymore, but you're our teacher in life."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, um, I hope that um, I hope that I'm still teaching them. I'm teaching them to follow what you need to do, to follow your passions, to make decisions that aren't always easy, and um, take care of yourself, take care of your family, find your peace, find your joy. And I think those are important lessons that I can still in part with those students.
1: So even though you left public school teaching, uh, music is still a part of your life. Teaching is still a part of your life. Tell us what you continue to do and how you continue to be a part of the music world. Because um, if I'm correct, your last year of teaching, was it? Was it your last year that you were were voted by MSVMA, Michigan School Vocal Music Association, um, Teacher of the Year? And you were elected, you you became president-elect of MSVMA. Did you know when that happened already? What was, what your future, you know, the direction you were going? Because I can't remember necessarily the timeline of this, but how did that all fit into your life at that moment?
0: So my term for MSVMA started two years ago. So that would have been one year previous mm-hmm. to this decision. So I didn't know that I was um, leaving at that point. And I, first of all, the it both are just an incredible honor. And um, if I'm being honest, I never set out for any of those or, or imagined um, any of that happening. I know that there are directors that have goals of Being an honors choir director or teacher of the year, and they just weren't on my radar. I just was living in my happy little bubble doing my thing, and um, just an incredible shock and an incredible honor. And so I'm still very, very active with MSVMA. And if anything, I have more time to dedicate to the organization now Mm -hmm. than when I was teaching. And it's just such um, a privilege to help support other teachers in this way. And I feel like um, that has been the, the transition. So instead of supporting my students in my classroom and just my students in my classroom, um, I am supporting teachers across the state, um, across, across the U.S. I write music resources. Um, and so I'm still very, very involved with music. I've had the opportunity this year to do quite a few um, clinic opportunities with choirs and adjudication opportunities for our solo and ensemble and choral festivals. And um, that has just been great fun. It also is musically fulfilling for me. Um, And I think that's been important for my satisfaction being out of the classroom to still have those um, musical opportunities to feed me as well, because I haven't left music. Did leave the classroom. (laughs) I have not left.
1: I have not left music. So tell me about your role as uh, president-elect. What are your responsibilities? Um, what have been uh, maybe things you've really enjoyed? What have been the challenges that you've you know faced in this role? So with MSVMA,
0: when you are nominated as president-elect, it's the first of um, three total terms. So you're up two years as president-elect two years as president, and then two years as past president. And I would say um, president-elect and president are the bulk of that of that job. Past president, things start to wind down just a little bit, and um, your job is to, to basically make sure that the president-elect and president um, are prepared for their positions. It's a great way for us to pass down institutional knowledge, um, processes and procedures, making sure that everyone knows um, how it how it goes, and and that's true of any board. When you have new members being voted in, you have to make sure that that information gets passed down accurately mm-hmm. and efficiently, so that so that the organization can continue working in the manner that it's accustomed. Um, so when I came on as president elect, we had a few challenges in that we were coming off of COVID, and um, everything about our processes and procedures had changed during COVID. So it was kind of reclaiming what we had done before and reexamining, you know, the answer of this is how we've always done it isn't always the best, the best course or the best answer. And so dissecting um, what do we want to get back to? And were there any things that we had adjusted during that pandemic that actually we'd like to keep? That worked really well. Um, and I think that's true for for everyone everywhere. I think we all found some things that we, of course, don't. We want. We were so wanting to get rid of that as fast as we could. But maybe some other um, things that we explored out of necessity that were actually a great idea that we'd like to keep. Um, so I I think that was kind of the challenge first on, and it's a it's a pretty steep learning curve um, when you get on the board, and there's quite a bit to to learn, um, and so my one of my big responsibilities as president elect was to be the liaison and work with our district managers and i had been a district manager for a year but because it was during covid i didn't explore all of that leadership that was necessary because so many of our events were canceled or just not the same as they they had been before and so i've i've had the the honor and the joy of working with our district managers making sure that they um, are heard and that they have everything that they need um, for their their local districts.
1: For teachers who are in Michigan and are not a part of MSVMA for whatever reason, what would you say to encourage them to join?
0: We offer so much, and I think it boils down to two big things. Number one, it's opportunities for students and their teachers opportunities for adjudicated and non-adjudicated festivals. Um, there's there's a wealth of knowledge uh, within the organization. And then really the second one is community. Our MSVMA community is wonderful and I think that's probably um, one of my favorite favorite parts of the organization. Um, being there for each other. It's a place of commiseration. Um, When you are the high school choir director in your district, you're the only one, and that can be very isolating. And so our organization brings all of those uh, people together in a non-isolating way because everyone gets it.
1: They are that person for
0: their community, and they understand. What do they
1: do to bring people together? What opportunities do you offer for people to connect?
0: So there are a number of things, but one thing I will put in a plug right now because I'm super excited about it. We are starting the uh, mentor program. It's called the MSVMA Partner Program, and um, sign-up is actually going to start this month. And there have been some different iterations of mentoring over the over the years, over the course of the organization. Uh, but over the last while, that has not been um, a concrete process in place, more of an informal Um, mentoring who you know, kind of a thing. And so um, the reason why it's called partner program is there is a place for mentees, for mentors, and then also partners. So if you are not in a place where you are either a mentee or a mentor, but you would love to come alongside someone else who's in a similar point in their career, um, they're going to be, there There will be the opportunity to have those conversations. I'm working on um, some of the scheduling and prompts right now, but there will be topics for throughout the year that you can share different ideas we're going to pair people up based on their teaching load and what they're interested in as well as their preferred uh, means of communication if you would rather just text or meet on zoom or have a phone call or meet in person we're going to try to accommodate all of those different uh, channels of communication as well so i'm very very excited about um, that and we'll see how that see how that goes
1: so that's launching when? When are you starting this program?
0: We are going to start sign up um, actually May 15th, and then it will start next school year. So people will have the opportunity to sign up all throughout the summer into August. And then um, we will have, there there will be someone else in place, but I am the, the spokesperson until we have someone else in place um, that will pair people up either a mentee and a mentor or two um, partners, and there'll be a kickoff meeting with some suggestions on how how to to work these relationships and how to get the best use of your time and knowledge from each other. And then they'll be paired up throughout the school year. We'll do a second round of signups next winter, about second semester. So if anybody doesn't jump on board right away and they hear wonderful things and they want to to hop on for the remainder of their year, there will be a second um, sign-up session. So this will be our first year. We'll see how it goes. It's kind of a pilot run, and uh, I'm really excited.
1: What are MSVMA's biggest needs right now? How can we, uh, those of us that are still teaching in the public school system or those of us that are no longer doing that, but we are voice teachers or we want to encourage other teachers or help in some way, how can we participate
0: I think our biggest need are volunteers, and that's going to happen at at every level. So our district events, our district managers need volunteers to run those events to be successful. Um, Our board needs volunteers to be coordinators and supervisors of some of the state-level events. So it's everything from I'll be the bagel person and pick up bagels for the judges to running a festival. And, and everything in between. And it's so hard because everyone is so busy. And so what's what's the saying? Many hands make light work. And so our goal is to try to get as many volunteers as possible so that it is lighter work. We do have so many volunteers who dedicate hours upon hours and upon hours and are wonderful, wonderful volunteers. But I would love to to offer them some more support and maybe a reprieve from those Uh, positions because everybody is busy and everyone has a lot on their plate. And so just trying to um, share the workload.
1: Who does someone contact when they do want to be a part if they do want to help? Sure. Um, there's a lot of different uh, places on um,
0: our website, MSVMA.org. You can find a board member or a district manager. If you know who your local district manager is, you can contact them directly. Of course, anyone's welcome to email me as well, um, Sarah Stockton at MSVMA.org. And if I don't know the answer, I can always find the right person or find, find out the information.
1: Wonderful. So tell me about your current passion, which is, you know, you know what it's like to be a teacher. You know that it, it requires Herculean effort and determination and resilience. And so how are you now supporting teachers? Because that is what you, you really want to do right now. Is that right?
0: Absolutely. Um, so my, my passion and the thing that I geek out over um, outside of my work hours is I do create music resources. Um, right now I'm selling on Teachers Pay Teachers, um, but I, do, I did start a website this year and um, YouTube channel. And so I'm kind of in infancy stages trying to get out there. Um, I focus on the resources that either are too time consuming for teachers to make Or things that they uh, might not want to. And so they're they're ready to go, ready to use. Um, Something that specifically comes to mind are sub plans. Sub plans are so difficult to write, uh, particularly if you are sick, you're not feeling well. Um, And so to have some resources at the ready that you can um, just print or there's digital ones for the sub, particularly when the sub is non music, because we all know that um, finding a sub that understands and can teach a rehearsal are pretty few and far between. Yeah, I really, I really love writing music resources. It does need to be a, a side gig right now, but I'm hoping that maybe in the future um, I can combine my knowledge of instructional design and also that passion for music teachers and music um, and turn that into my full time, full time job too.
1: I really hope that you're going to be able to do that. Why? Well, why is this so important to you?
0: I think, um, and maybe it's just because of the journey that I've been on the last couple of years. I see teachers struggling. I see them. I, I just I see it in their eyes. I see how tired they are. I see how hard they're working, and um, I just want to ease some of that burden. I know that. Um, This is a skill set that I have that I'm currently exploring and um, improving. And so it's a way for me to support my colleagues, support music teachers, so that they can focus on creating relationships with their singers and making beautiful music, not writing sub plans or, or some of the things that are just more mundane. There are enough things taking time out of their day. Um, emails and, and test scores and data, things that don't create relationships, things that don't um, improve musicality. And so if there's anything that I can take off their plates, um, that's what's driving me right now.
1: Is the Sarah Stockton at msvma.org the best way to reach you? Is there another way to reach you?
0: Yeah, um, that email would be fine or also admin at com. Um, My website is sarahstocktonresources.com. And so you can see um, some samples of my work, um, both videos and um, digital and printable resources. As of right now, you can't purchase anything on the website. Um, I may get there eventually, um, but there are plenty of links and places for you to check
1: that out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm I'm so excited for people to get to hear about this and know that this is a resource because this is a resource for anyone, right? Anybody internationally can can get on your website and can find these things. What do you want your legacy to be? I think I I just wanna I wanna be known for being a champion
0: for music education. Um and I think you know you you talked about trying to get me on the the podcast for a while. That was my hesitancy. I left the classroom, and I don't want to encourage others in that same vein unless that's what they really need to do. Um, so I didn't want it to seem like you know the grass is so greener, so much greener outside of the classroom because that's really not the case. Um, but if there are teachers that are feeling stuck, there there are other options. But I definitely didn't want it to seem like. Um, I was encouraging people to leave the classroom. And so um, I would like to be known for being a champion for music education, both in and outside of the classroom, for supporting teachers. And anytime I make a decision, anytime it's for my resources or for MSVMA, I ask myself the question, is this what is best for kids? And that's how I frame... Everything that I'm working on, and every decision that I that I need to get behind, whether it's for the organization or for my own work, is this what's best for kids, um, and ultimately their teachers as well?
1: Hmm. How do you reconcile? knowing that you knew you needed to leave with also encouraging teachers to stay like, because again, I completely understand what you're saying. And I actually had that thought before we did this interview as I'm thinking, she isn't going to want, you know, to say, you know, you should leave. We need great teachers in the classroom, which I'm assuming, you know, that's why you're doing what you do. How Mm -hmm. do you deal with those conversations either one-on-one or just even in a very, you know, public manner of saying yes I know this is what I did but you know fill in the blank I would encourage
0: any teacher to examine what brings them peace, what brings them joy and if it isn't the classroom, then you need to, you need to find what does bring you that peace and that joy. If you still can find that in the classroom, and that's still where you want to be, then I'm trying to support you in that and give you that. I would never tell someone where they need to stay or where they need to go. That's not up for me. Um, You know, just like I came to that realization and who knows, 10 years from now, I could be back in the classroom. Um, I am only speaking for myself right here, right now in this year, um, next year might be a different answer. And that's, that's okay. And for someone that's a planner and likes to have everything figured out, that's a tough, tough statement. But I'm okay with that. Um, I am doing what's best for me right now, right here. And I would encourage teachers to do the same thing. Um, if you feel stuck, if you feel despair, there are other options. If you love what you do and you just have a bad day, then stay. <laughs> there are there are bad days everywhere, um, but I'm hoping that you know, in in whatever small way I can contribute, that um, offering support is what those teachers need to be successful and to be um, in the classroom doing what they want to do and love to do.
1: What about the degree? the time, the money, because I've heard a lot of, you know, in talking with teachers who are struggling, they will say, I've invested so much of my life into being this thing, right? This is what I meant to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm paying these student loans. I have this degree and now I'm not sure. How did you feel about that? Um, <laughs> truthfully, that never occurred to me.
0: Um, I, I, don't regret my degree. I have a bachelor's and a master's my master's is in choral conducting. I don't regret it for a second. Um, like I said, I love learning. I learned a lot. And that, that was one chapter. I'm just in a different chapter. Um, and maybe the next chapter uses those degrees. Um, I have zero, zero regrets or even that never even occurred to me. Um, I had a beautiful, wonderful 16 years in the classroom um, I, am in a different chapter and maybe I'll add to that number later or in a different way, who knows, but it was by no means a waste.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. That is just really encouraging to hear. And I'm sure it's going to be encouraging to hear for other people who are, who's are struggling to make a decision, um, or to stay in the classroom to feel encouraged, um, either way. But you just said that so beautifully.
0: I think the biggest thing is I just
1: I want I want teachers to
0: know that there are are people people out there like me or, or anyone else that truly believe in what they do. Um, there's so much negativity right now surrounding education and laws surrounding education, not just in Michigan but across the United States. And I think teachers are are afraid. I think teachers um, don't feel like they're being trusted. And um, there are more people, I believe than not that really do believe in teachers and what and what they're doing. Um, Right now, I'm doing that as a parent in in my school district, trying to support my son's teachers in whatever way that I can. But I mean, teachers just do amazing things on a daily basis and our our kids need that they really need those positive influences music is a place where we have all kinds of kids we have the kids that don't want to be at school but want to be in the choir room we've got the ap kids who do all of the everything and sing and it's just a really important um subject it's an important way to get kids involved get them to express themselves and communicate their their most inner thoughts through music um, it's a place of therapy and connection and belonging and as a parent when I think about that for my son um, you know he's in elementary school but as I'm starting to wrap my brain around okay middle school in another year and then high school what do I want for him I want him to feel like he belongs everything else will figure itself out. Mm -hmm. The academics, the test scores, what we'll figure it out. I want him to feel like he belongs and that he has, has a group that he belongs to. And I, I believe that music provides that for a lot of students.
1: Thank you so much for spending time with me. This has just been really lovely. And I'm really grateful that you were able to, to share this time with me.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Sing Coach Conduct. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can contact Megan Farrison on Facebook or Instagram or by emailing the Conductor at gmail.com.